You're listening to the Courageous Creatives podcast, episode number seven. This week, I'm joined by co-host, my mum, Sarah, as we dive into one of the hottest topics in creative business. How do you value and price your work? We cover all the important things from when you should and should not compare what you're doing to other creatives, how to work out what you're worth per hour, how to overcome rejection and people not valuing your work, and much more. Hi there, I'm your host, Georgie Morrison. I'm a nine to five dropout turned multi-creative writer, artist, and photographer. I'm now a ceramicist most days of the week, small business owner, and freelance writer and photographer on others. I traded the city for the country and building a life I love and have never looked back. I'm on a mission to help creatives everywhere find their courage and forge a modern career. From small business talk to social media, lifestyle, or overcoming personal or professional obstacles, let's bust the starving artist myth and be brave enough to make the life we want now. Join me every Wednesday and let's make your creative goals happen. Welcome to the Courageous Creatives Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Creators Creatives podcast. If you have seen the Instagram account this week, I did announce that I will have someone else joining me on the solo cast today. And this is probably not so conventional having the same person on in the same season, but today I am actually joined by my mother Sarah Hope, not as a guest, but as a co-host. And The reason why I have asked her on with me today is because this isn't a conversation that I could have on my own because it is a conversation that I always have with her. And I think together we will bounce off each other and have some great advice for you, um, but also some insight and I think some relatability for people listening who are artists at a similar point or perhaps starting out and wondering where to begin in learning how to price and value their work. So without further ado, one becomes two. (laughs) Welcome back on mum. Hi, George. Great to be here again. So I suppose when you and I were just chatting about this, we were saying, right, people might think, why this topic? You know, if you know your work and you've done your market research, you know, you think you know what to price your work, but it seems to be something that's ever evolving. And that's why we always talk about it. Yeah, we talk about it all the time and we often say to each other, oh God, wh- what do we put on this? What, what do we price this with? Which is, it sounds like you're flying by the seat of your pants, but I think sometimes it begins with what we would expect to pay for the same. Mm-hmm. And then we work almost backwards and work out whether that's going to work either as an end price point for us so that we make some money uh, or whether that's not going to work at wholesale costing and so forth. But I think this week we were particularly inspired by a, a reel we saw. Online. Yeah, that popped up a couple of weeks ago. And um, for anyone who might know, yes, mum and I can sing and we might have a little go at it now. We'll probably mess it up, but it's been viral. So everyone will probably know it, but it's that 
total British girl who says, you know, costs that much because it takes me hours. Hours. <laughs> it costs that much because I don't have superpowers. <laughs> you need to pay for my skills because exposure doesn't pay the bills. It costs that much because it takes me <laughs> Anyway, I... <laughs> Sorry for um, for not obviously staying true to the TikTok itself, but this is a clean podcast, so I've just beeped out mum swearing. <laughs> but um, yeah, so... But you get the drift. You get the drift. So, yeah. Essentially, there was another moment where we talked about this at length, Georgie, uh, when a wholesaler, a stockist of ours, contacted us and she was a bit devastated, I think, because we'd sent her a number of really beautiful ceramic products to sell um, at a market stall, I think, in country Queensland. And someone came up to her and there was a really beautiful platter that we'd produced and it was priced at around, I think, $120, $130. And the customer said to her, why isn't this $60? Now, for the customer um, to say that, obviously, she's probably not the right customer for that particular stockist. But I will say that when we broke that price down, neither of us were making a huge amount from that. Um, No, because it was wholesale too. So I think for anyone listening who hasn't wholesale before, essentially the way it works is, you know, you're selling your goods, your products for 50% of retail price. So, you know, if we're selling in this case a platter, let's say for $120 on our Hope & Co website, if we are wholesaling that out to someone, we can only sell it for about $60. And when you then break that down, let's say that piece takes us, I don't know, anywhere between four to six hours to make, we're only getting paid 10 to $15 an hour, which is below the minimum wage. So for someone to turn around and say, yeah, I'll take it for $60, therefore assuming that we would wholesale it for $30, it just, it doesn't even make sense. We wouldn't even be in business at all. And, and to be honest, the margins are very fine as they are with handmade products. So I think if you're making products out there, this is going to be the podcast for you because we actually break down um, the psychology behind pricing as well as the practicalities. And between Georgie and I, we are constantly bouncing off one another and and we have that ability to be able to throw things at each other. Um, you may not. You may be on your own and maybe a bit lost and all a bit at sea and how to actually price. So we've got a few ideas for you to begin with. So for starters, I think the most obvious thing that everyone tries to do when they get started with their business or their creative endeavor is to research the prices of comparable artists um, or similar artists in your industry. And there's a few dangers in doing this in a sense, because you might be looking at someone, let's say locally, who has been doing it for a few years and they've got a huge market and they're able to charge an arm and a leg for something that might seem comparatively simple. But that said, you know, you have to take into account like their audience, like how long they've been selling for. And all of that. So it's quite tricky, I think, to compare yourself to anyone else in general. I think um, to base yourself off like these prices that I've seen where people might charge something really low, like to the point where it's almost ridiculous, like you shouldn't even be working for that little money um, versus someone who charges so, so much. Um, it's, it is really hard to find that middle point and know what is a good reflection of what you are doing and how to 
see what other people are doing. And yeah, and I think that that's really important. But also, there are there are some cheeky um, operators out there <laughs> who charge astronomical prices for something that I just wouldn't pay for. Um, I.e., um, and no names involved, but um, there is a potter out there with very limited experience. Um, and I'm not saying I'm super experienced. I'm relatively new to the game myself, but and I'm learning all the time. But um, she's charging in excess of two hundred and fifty dollars for a customized mug and I just wouldn't pay that and and mm. she's obviously got her market so that's great and yeah. I think the important thing is is that you find your niche uh, work out who your customer is and not all people out there are going to pay for a handmade product um, perhaps like our stockists customer in Queensland country Queensland there are a whole lot of reasons why people either value or don't value the handmade product so your in, if you're like us, you're looking for someone who's going to value a handmade product. Or for me and for Georgie, we also want it to be affordable enough so that quite a number of people can enjoy something special, something that's handmade, something that's made with love without breaking the bank so that we always offer a different price, a number of different price points and different products that you can choose from. We actually found a document recently. It's it's an official Australian document by the Regional Arts Fund and it provides a guide for how much creative should be paid per hour. So for example, and just think about this, but for a contract hourly rate, this government document suggests that a visual artist, so, you know, if you are painting or you're illustrating, charges a minimum of $25 to $66 per hour. And it suggests that a casual hourly rate, so this is literally if you were doing a commission for someone, um, that you would charge $32 minimum per hour to $83 per hour. So if you were to consider, let's say an artwork takes you around six hours um, and if you were just starting out you have to at least pay yourself a minimum of $25 an hour you know if it's someone who is a regular client or whatever that might be or if you were doing a one-off artwork or commission at least $32 an hour so if you're doing an artwork for six hours or more think about how much that total is and I'm literally going to flick open my calculator and work out that now because I stopped maths after year 10. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. So, um, so yeah, so that works out to be $192 and that's, you know, for essentially six hours. But you might take longer than that, you know. when you're Or you might want to charge more than or that. Or you might want to charge so, more than that. And that's, that's the bare minimum. So if you're going out there and saying, yeah, I'll do a commission for $50 uh, for an A3 piece of artwork, you know, think about how much you're paying yourself per hour. You know, you have to value your time and the whole point of transitioning from being a nine to five worker um, and in that daily grind into being a creative is achieving financial freedom. And we talk about this all the time. And if you really don't value your creativity and your ability, then you're not going to be really any better off than you were working in the nine to five. And you're going to be stressed because you're not earning what you should be from your skill set. So yeah, I'm Curious to hear what you think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Underselling yourself is something that I've probably been a star at through my creative life. I'm only just starting to really understand and, you know, I'm in my early 50s, exactly how and and what I'm going to charge for my work. And sometimes Georgie, you know, has given me a bit of a smack sometimes and said, <laughs> no, mum, that's actually, you know, that's not enough. And, and 
I think that there's this fear in artists that no one's going to love my work. It's not worth what I'm, you know, and you question yourself and you say to yourself constantly, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Is someone going to think I'm too expensive? All those fears come into play when you price your work. So I think it's really, really important to take the emotion out of it. Okay, it's that's the biggest thing I can say is take the emotion out of it. Have the opinion or have the opinion of your own work that it's not going to appeal to everybody but there you are going to have an audience that loves it and that audience will be prepared to be part of your tribe and your creative tribe and they will also be prepared to pay to be part of that tribe so in finding your your value and understanding who you are as an artist uh, and just taking the emotion out of it, taking the fear out of it is really, really important moving forward. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, fear um, and, and subsequently stress are some of the biggest killers of creativity. Um, and I think that even when Sky, uh, my younger sister who we've mentioned before, who will probably come on the podcast at some point too, um, and myself, you know, we're each working on manuscripts at the moment um, on creative novels, um, fiction novels. And we often talk about how fear is one of the biggest barriers um, in completing that work and getting that work done because, um, you know, we're afraid of, you know, will people find the stories interesting? You know, will the stories, you know, be sellable? Will they do well? Um, and that is honestly the biggest killer for writing and for working. You know, if you're caught up in thinking, you know, will people even like it? I think that, you know, you can translate that across any sort of creative sphere where if you are really panicked and worried about the money and how much money you're going to make from something and whether people will want to spend, you know, with you and purchase your work, um, then you lose a lot of that joy for making anyway. So if you can separate the business from your creativity, even though they will always run alongside each other. But when you're creating to separate that financial fear, then your work will translate much better. You know, you'll create better work. Your work will have an infused joy in Mm -hmm. it that isn't possible when you're worried about actually what money you're going to make from that piece. Absolutely. It it is difficult and and don't get me wrong, um, for many, many years I I, I can't tell you how many paintings I've done for nothing virtually and given them to family and friends and, and whatever because I've wanted people to enjoy my work and haven't wanted to actually include money as part of the that whole process it all seemed too difficult and and to be honest all those all those family and friends who supported me and loved my work actually gave me confidence even if I didn't make financial um well I didn't make any money out of it they gave me that confidence to keep going so at the very beginning I get it if you don't know what to charge for your work and I get it if you're not really sure about whether it's going to work the only advice I can give you is is to just keep going getting it out there I think that um, Georgie, your generation, is so incredibly fortunate with social media. Once upon a time, you know, if I submitted an article um, as a freelancer to a magazine, it was like a four, six-week turnaround to, you know, maybe get a rejection. I remember I wrote for Country Style in 2006 and to actually be accepted um, after submitting an article article was just absolutely mind-blowing. And to this day, that was a, a real sort of a turning point, I think, in, in my career um, because I thought, hey, I'm in a national magazine. This is fabulous. Um, 
and I think I think that um, painting, for instance, you know, you grow, you um, whatever creative business you are in, the longer you're in it, the more the more of an expert you become at what you do, the, the more clear your voice becomes. And, and with that, you know, as a 50 year old now, I'm not embarrassed about charging what I do for commissions um, for paintings. Um, with ceramics, because I feel like I've been learning, I probably have undervalued some of my um, highly decorated ceramics. And I think I'm just starting to understand now that they are works of art in the, in, on their own. Um, it's not like people are just buying bowls from you know Kmart or Country Road which probably all come from the same factory like really sorry to say exactly (laughs) and picture this um you know the bowls that you see at your local two dollar shop and and they, they all have their function don't get me wrong I've bought plenty of plain white bowls um, from $2 shops, but they come from massive kilns in China um, or, you know, in other places around the world. Like where like they, in Anywhere, but they, they come from massive production lines. Um, and, you know, that's why you can buy something for $10 or $20. As a handmade, as a handmaker in Australia, you cannot compete with that. So what you need to do is price it accordingly and find your niche market um, who appreciates the value of the craft. Mm, absolutely, because I think too that it's important to to really recognise that not everyone has realistic expectations, you know, of art and of creativity. I think that the world we're living in has come a long way to value creativity. Um, I, I really do, especially in the past five years and especially in the pandemic because people have spent so much time in their homes and have really started to invest in art and making their homes a space that they want to be in because it's no longer like people are going off to work into an office all day and then coming home at night time you know they're really having to live in their space and have it work for them so also recognize that there is that shift and that people are really starting to value things now and you actually need to jump on that bandwagon of of people wanting art and people wanting individual work um, or even, you know, because we're talking obviously a lot about art here, even as a freelancer, um, you know, in what I do, as mum mentioned, she used to do too for magazines. I think just having that confidence in knowing that people are looking for that right now. Um, you know, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of businesses have had to um, cut back their staff and everything. So there's actually much more demand for freelancers and for people who don't have to be on a salary and cost companies and businesses all this money. So they're looking to outsource. So recognize that people are really suddenly valuing freelancers and valuing, you know, let's say copywriters or freelance photographers or web designers or graphic designers, you name it, essentially any creative um, practice that is in demand. But, you know, recognize that it is really valued right now and therefore you know you need to value that skill you need to value the time that you're giving to these businesses because you know they'd be otherwise paying let's say 60 to 80 grand for someone to work in marketing or wherever anyway each year so why not charge you know what you're worth if they're no longer concentrating that amount of money into an like a full-time employee 
Yeah, I I agree. There's um there's just such a huge market out there now and and available for you know mums working from home. I mean, you can set your own hours. Well, really, we haven't had much choice but work from home in Australia for the last eighteen months. Uh, for many of us on the eastern seaboard, um, particularly Victoria and New South Wales. So, um, there are so many different job opportunities, and I think we've talked about pivoting before. And Georgie has talked about it in her podcast, but it's so important to maybe take stock, have a look at your skill set, evaluate what your worth is and then think, okay, how can I translate this into perhaps a new opportunity if the one, you know, that isn't working for you right now because of circumstances, um, you might have another opportunity to do something else. I guess with pricing, you're probably still asking the question, okay, yeah, but how do I price it? How do I work out what my value is? How, how do I say to myself, well, I'm going to be worth, say, $60 an hour or $80 an hour. That's one thing. Um, I know that when I first started out, I used calculation, I suppose, on with my painting for square inch by dollar amount. So essentially, I know it's inches is perhaps the US measurement, but I actually worked it out by square inches because a lot of my canvases were indicated that they were square inch measurements, uh, 40 by 60, what have you. So there's there's that that you can do and you can look up some resources online and work out um, the size and that way you can get prices for sizes and keep it standardised. Now if you're working with a gallery and I've really chosen not to through my life mainly because I've done a lot of commissions and uh, in between everything else, I haven't necessarily had the time to, to paint consistently enough to supply to galleries and I've sold directly. But if you are selling through galleries, it's really important that your price is the same as the gallery that represents you. So if you, say, decide to charge $1,500 for a painting uh, and the gallery says, okay, I think that's fair market price. They're going to sell it for $1,500 and they're going to take off a commission. Now, often that is up to 45, 50%. It's quite a lot. So you've got to take that into consideration when you are actually pricing your artwork, that if you are selling through a gallery, you're going to lose a big chunk of it. Now, I'm not saying that that is all galleries. I remember when I had the gallery, I owned my own little commercial gallery in Hamilton in Western Victoria. Uh, We... We took a 25% commission. Now, that was nearly a decade ago, but I was really mindful of the fact that local artists probably weren't generating a huge number of sales and we were really trying to enter the market at that point. So, yeah, I guess um, that was my little point about painting and getting, getting that sort of a consistent way of pricing your work in different sizes. I suppose for anyone who is freelancing or offering a service the sort of equivalent of that is I mentioned before you have to make sure that whatever you're doing that it is more profitable for you in a sense than it would have been for you to be a nine-to-five and I sort of did a bit of rough maths here but um, I when I was working for a newspaper I was paid $24 an hour Um, and my partner always says to me that I unfortunately set a precedent where I worked really hard um, and I would write a lot and, and I'm a very fast writer. I'm, I'm kind of lucky with that, but because I, at one point when I dropped back to part-time the pandemic and I was really trying to prove myself that, you know, I could work well from home, I pretty much almost doubled my weekly output in half the time. And suddenly, you know, let's say for example, I was writing, 
you know, 20 articles a week on then a part-time wage, which was, you know, let's say between 400 or so dollars um, because at that point there was the government top up too. So about 600. But even then, you know, if you are dividing 600, and again, I'm using my calculator, (laughs) by 24, you know, that's $25 per article. I mean, it's just, it's, it's literally like slave labor, slave labor, it's slave labor, you know? And, and so again, I don't have a precise formula for this, but all I knew is that I, if I was going to be going out into freelancing or anything, I wanted to at least double what I was getting paid per hour. And also I knew as well that, you know, news um, writing is obviously much more fast paced and you have to bam, bam, bam and get the news out because, you know, news is old news tomorrow. But I realized in terms of feature writing, you know, where I'd put all this effort into these articles that um, that is where my skill lay, you know, and that I had to at least at least charge double per hour um, in my freelancing to make sure that that was, you know, cost effective. Um, And that that made sense, you know, because I think, again, it comes back to like, you have to make your creative venture work for you. It has to, Um, because then you do ask that question like, oh, well, you know, if you're paying off a mortgage or you're saving for something or, you know, you want to go on a holiday or anything like that, you have to be able to fund your life because otherwise you will just feel really anxious and wound up about not being able to afford anything. Yeah, okay. So uh, the other thing that we've talked about is on the back of our beautiful uh, stockist in, you know, in Queensland having been approached by that customer. What do you say to someone who says your artwork, your rates, your photography, your, your product is too expensive? So we've got a couple of responses for you and a couple of ideas. One is that it looks selling. Sometimes your own product isn't very, well, isn't particularly easy. And so something that we could say to that potential customer is, would you like to know a little bit more about how this product came to be and why it is priced how it is? Okay, so for instance, when we make a piece of pottery, a lot of people are often surprised to say, okay, well, this has taken about an hour and a half worth of making. It then dries for seven days, probably in winter a little bit longer. It then gets fired in a kiln with other pieces, but obviously the electricity costs a lot, you know, for a firing. Um, It gets fired for about 12 hours, between nine and 12 hours, and then it cools down for another 12 so we can't open a kiln for at least 24 hours 24 to 36 hours that process of the firing and then when it comes out we then decorate it and we glaze it or there might be a more complicated process so maybe it's another hour or two of decorating that piece it then gets glazed with a clear glaze and then it goes back into the kiln for another 36 hour 24 to 36 hour process and then it comes out Okay, so there's a long time associated with a piece of pottery. Now, if you've got a kiln that is the size of ours, then it's we don't have a huge capacity. We've just got a new kiln which will increase that capacity. But it's nothing like the mass production that you see even for big manufacturers in places like the UK, um, places like that. Imagine like a big, literally a big factory with thousands of ceramic pieces. Like- thousands and thousands. So we're putting in maybe... Um, 
maximum 20 pieces in our little kiln, which is going to change. Obviously, we'll probably get 50 or 60 in the next size kiln, and that's great, but we're still small. So it's a small business. It's a small boutique product production line, small batch. Okay, so that's number one. Um, you might even be able to explain a little bit to them about your pricing formula based on that. Okay, so if they want an explanation, that's one thing. Secondly, be strong enough to say, okay, this mightn't be for you. Let them walk away. You know, there will be someone else who values it and who appreciates the amount of effort and time that's gone into your piece. There are literally like, the, and this is like circulated around social media, but, you know, a lot of like big influencers have said when they're trying to, you know, help people build their own following don't be upset when people unfollow you or, or when people drop off the face of the earth, essentially, because those people are not your paying customers. You know, if they really, if, if they don't value your work or, um, or if they're perhaps not in a position to buy any of your work, but they're still going to support you on social media or anything, you can't take it too personally because you can't force anyone to buy from you. No, that's right. But don't they say that in terms of social media that you've got three different types of followers anyway, that you've got someone who's your champion, someone oh, no, who's so – how does that actually, go? No, that was Samantha. Um, so for anyone who's listened to that episode with Samantha Muran a few weeks ago, and she talked about how – and I'm probably going to mess this up, but essentially like you will have someone who will – you know, like everything and support you, but they might not be able to afford your work yet. And then you have people who just cheerlead no matter what, and they can buy all of your work. And again, like I'm not saying this word for word because I don't have the notes from that episode in front of me, but essentially, you know, you have different types of followers. Like not every follower is there to buy from you. Some of them are just there to look at the beautiful scenery. <laughs> you know, they're there to, to look at your beautiful photos and, um, they might kind of ghost you a bit, but then you might have those other followers who really love what you do, but they literally cannot afford your services or they cannot afford your product. Um, but when they're in the position to do so, um, that's often when they come out of the woodwork. And then you have the people who are obviously in that position to buy from you and they love you and they will keep buying from you and they're lucky to be in that position where they can support you. Yeah, and that and that's a really good point because that was going to be my next point about um, if someone thinks your work is too expensive yeah. is to actually ask them, you know, what are you comfortable paying? You know, what's in your price bracket? You know, I understand that we've got these beautiful little ceramic dishes that are fourteen ninety five. Maybe that would suit you better than maybe a platter that's $185. So um, you can work work out very quickly where someone's at and and what kind of things and stages mm. you know you look at demographics and you look at what um, I remember my mum saying to me so talk about generational but my mother saying to me look we you know my age in and my mother's in her mid-70s would say look we've got all of our stuff we you know we, we buy presents we don't buy for ourselves very much um, and to be honest you know we've got enough art on our walls we've had a, a, a lifetime collecting but how will buy you know any number of cards um, of that image um, so there are a whole lot of different price points based on um, what your demographic needs and requires where definitely. yeah yeah because definitely because I think too like um, let's say hypothetically because we've had a couple of market situations and you can like literally see your demographic you know like there were people that say around my age who were 18 to like 20 or whatever and they might have been 
you know, girls at university or, or wherever who are living in a share house. They're not like obviously enormously house proud, but they've got the little space in their bedroom and they might buy an earring dish for $20 or they might buy a card for their friend's birthday. And that might be the extent of it. You know, they might spend $20, $30 maximum. They don't have a lot of money. That's the budget. Then you might get the woman who, young woman who's in a, you know, say mid twenties to, to 30 and, and she might be buying something that's a bit more around the $50, $60 mark as a present for a friend or something like that. And then you get the women coming in with the baby prams and they're on maternity leave or whatever. And the husband's working and they're setting up their home and they have, you know, a bit more money to spare. So they'll look at buying a salad bowl or something that's going to be more of an investment and so forth. As, as mum was saying too, then I think there's that bracket perhaps between, let's say, 30 to maybe 30 to 60 where people are really looking to buy things for their home and you know they they've obviously you know a lot of them are working still you know might be working full time or you know just in that position where they can spend a bit more so i think that you know if you are serving either end of that demographic you got to bear that in mind you got to bear yeah. that in mind and just be conscious that i think a lot of the times people really want to support you and they will support you in whatever way they can if they can't afford to they will like your photos if they, you know, they might comment or something, you know, and or they'll buy a card or they'll buy a dish. But it doesn't mean that your work isn't valuable enough just because they might buy in smaller quantities and things, you know. So be conscious of your customer too. And then not every customer is going to be the same. And then the other thing that just made me think of, um, you know, my, my parents' age group um, and and the kinds of products that they would purchase. I mean, if you look back on how much society has changed, I know this is going to sound funny, but, you know, if I'd been a potter, you know, in the 1970s, I would have made a lot of brownware and I also would have made a lot of <laughs> a lot of ashtrays. So, you know, I think if you're thinking about what people want as well and what is um, market driven and what you know what is going to sell you know we've we've established a gap in our in our repertoire um, that people love buying mugs so we're working on a whole range of mugs at the moment which is taking a little bit longer than we thought but people love a coffee mug they love having a cup of tea I love or, the idea of it's yeah. curling up somewhere and and that whole aesthetic of it yeah and we're doing a lot of that at the moment at home um, and finding comfort um, in in those things those simple pleasures so it's about adapting to what we're doing um, day by day in our creative endeavours as long as it's moving with the times and what people are, are looking for. I certainly, for instance, wouldn't be um, making an ashtray for love or money at the moment. Well, the interesting thing is too, like we found this mould, oh gosh, I think it was a year ago and it was a spoon rest and we found it again the other day we were cleaning up. Mum was about to put it in the pile to like give, you know, free to good home. And I was like, no, no, don't because the spoon rests yeah. have suddenly popped up all over Pinterest because people think they're really cool again. Yeah, and I suddenly thought, oh, my God, I actually don't have a spoon rest. I better make one. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, how how many times do you get tomato, like, pasta sauce on the kitchen bench by the stove? So it's actually on our Christmas list now from yeah. to make a few for our open studio. So li- listen to what your audience wants too. I think that is such a huge thing when you're valuing your work, you know. Are you creating a product or are you creating something that there is a need for in the market? You know, are you listening to what people want to buy? Because if you're creating something that people really aren't looking for and then you think, oh, like my work isn't good enough or people just don't value me. Like, are you actually creating something that people are looking for? 
Yeah, and secondly, I guess that at the end of the day, even if it does feel as though you've been mortally wounded uh, by someone not wanting your work, it's okay. It's okay. Someone else will love it. Okay, so to sum it all up, I think at the end of this, Georgie will probably pop some notes on. We're going to include a few formulas for you if you're a visual artist. Absolutely. So I do have show notes in my monthly newsletter that I am sort of building up at the moment. So I'll put the plug in for it at the end anyway, but you can jump on and subscribe to that and I'll give an overview. But I definitely think mum and I will put this together as a blog post to put on the Hope & Co website. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But I think those practical um, those practical notes will help you if you've had a listen today and any of it you know, resonates with you and you've been wondering how the hell you're going to price your artwork or your services, then hop online and we'll have it up in the next week or so for you. And then also, if you want to continue the conversation, please feel free to get in touch with us via Hope & Co at at underscore Hope & Co underscore. Or of course, you can jump on to the Courageous Creators page at Courageous Creatives Podcast. Either channel, mum and I um, would love to chat to you and continue the conversation. You're welcome to email as well. Um, get in touch at podcast at georginamorrison.com.au and we'll do our best to answer your questions and help you out. And thanks for having me on again today, Georgie. I absolutely love doing podcasts with you and hopefully what we've had to impart today has given you some ideas at least. No, thank you so much for joining me, Mum. I, again, like I said, couldn't have had this conversation without her because she and I do talk about this all the time. All the time. Um, so, yeah, we really hope that this has helped you. And, yeah, we look forward to hearing how you're going. Stay in touch. Let us know if any of these tips help. And thank you for taking the time out today to listen to us. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a lovely week. Bye. Bye. For show notes from today's episode, head over to georginamorrison.com.au to the Courageous Creatives podcast page and subscribe to my monthly newsletter, The Creatives Corner. Here you can read more about podcast guests, show notes on episodes from that month, plus some extra goodies. If you are an established creative who has left behind the nine to five and built the business of your dreams, or perhaps there is someone you greatly admire in your field and you would love to hear them on the show, please feel free to get in touch. Alternatively, if there is a topic you would love to hear about, let me know. You can contact Courageous Creatives via sending an email to podcast at georginamorrison.com.au or send a DM to the Courageous Creatives Podcast Instagram account at Courageous Creatives Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the love. If there is a family member or friend who you think would enjoy this podcast, pass it on. If you share via Instagram, be sure to tag the Courageous Creatives handle so I can see and share and say hi to you. Whichever platform you're listening on, hit the follow button so you don't miss an episode and leave a review if you can, as it all helps this new little podcast get out there. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll chat soon. Bye.